I cannot tell you how great it is to see you all here. It's amazing. It's just so good to see from someone who has delivered a few sermons to an empty sanctuary in the last few months. This is um, this is a blessing for me. So, whether you get anything out of this uh, sermon or not, um, I know that I will. <laughs> uh, wow, it's so nice to see you guys. Okay, well, um, I thought that I would um, do a few things today that we haven't been able to do in a while. And one of those things is, and hopefully you uh, at home will be able to see it as well, is um, I've got a map. I've got a map. (laughs) So um, we are reading through 2 Samuel right now in our hopes and goal of getting through the Bible in five years. And um, I don't know about you, but these little booklets that we've been handing out uh, as we go through the different uh, books, there's been kind of a godsend to me during this time. I have it on my desk in my office, and I walk in during the, during the week, and I, it's always up, and Whenever I, I finish a particular section or day that we're reading, I highlight the, the verse or the chapter, and uh, it's just neat to see all the highlights, and uh, it's, it's, just, it's just been very, very encouraging for me during this time. And so during this week, we actually started a section of Second of Samuel that for those of you that are... are, are um, theologians or have done any kind of uh, college work in the Bible, you are aware that this area from chapter, um, from chapter 9 all the way to chapter 20 is a subsection that uh, Bible scholars call David's court history, and it's a summation of the highs and the lows during David's reign, and there are some some great highs, and there are some very low lows in, in David's reign, and during the time as he is king and he holds court. And so um, I thought today that I would choose um, just a small chapter, starting in, in chapter 9. 9 only has 13 verses, but I thought that we would, we would read it today and we would cover some important aspects that we see of David and, and relate it to us in the 21st century. Sound good? Okay, so let's read 2 Samuel chapter 9 together. Yeah, so have your Bibles out, have your Bible app out, or your phone, your iPad, whatever you'd like to do, or your... Okay, your... Um, your notebook that we put together. All righty. This really is a press conference. All right. So let's read Second Samuel chapter 9 together. David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. 
They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is in the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Zimba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson and Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Now Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Wow. If someone asks you today, did you read your Bible today? You can tell them, I read a whole chapter. Now, if you didn't actually read it and you just heard it audibly, like my good friend Sam tells me, hearing it audibly is still reading. Right? <laughs> Okay, so you've read a whole chapter today. So let's look at just this small chapter. Even though it went really quickly, 13 verses, there is so much packed into this section of Scripture that it's assumed we know, but we may not know here in 21st century. And so I'd like to, I'd like to examine this in, at depth, and hopefully I will keep your attention to be able to to do this and to look at it. So, let's just let's just go through it. So, the first thing that David says is is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? In 1 Samuel chapter 7, David asked, "What can I do for God?" And he proposed to build a temple for the Lord. Do you remember that? Okay. Now, David asked another question. He said would, that we should each ask, what can I do for others? The second part of the question, well, the first part is, is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul? 
Now that is a very common question that a king would ask. Someone who, is there any, any descendants of the former king still around? Kings all around asked this question when they ascended the throne. But not for peace. So that they can kill them. They, they wanted to get rid of anybody who had a right to the throne. Except the king that's a king now. Okay? So, Saul, David asking this question. Is there any more? Is anyone left of the house of Saul? I can hear that. People, oh yeah, okay, great. Now we're just going to be more bloodshed. But the second part of his question goes something like this. That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. That was revolutionary. That was, wait, wait, what? You, you want to show kindness for the sake of Jonathan? If we remember back in 1 Samuel, David and Jonathan were friends. They were such close friends that they made a covenant together. And that covenant was that they would honor the other's house as it were. Always. He remembered his relationship and covenant with, with Jonathan, which is found in 1 Samuel chapter 20, if you're scoring at home. His actions were not only based on feelings, but also because of a promise. He had made a promise to someone who is long since dead, but yet he still chose to honor it. And so then we learn of a servant of the former king, and his name is Ziba. And so David could only learn of about the sin of Saul by calling a servant. Is there, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? Oh, yeah. We've got Mephibosheth, and he's, he's living somewhere else. He's in hiding. Isn't that funny how even before, remember when Saul was looking for a medium? He asks the servant, and they go, oh, yeah, there's one in Endor. It's like the servants know where everything's going on, and the king's kind of clueless. Wait, what? So is there, a, is there someone still of the house of Saul? And he brings up a servant, and this is a servant, former servant of Saul in his house. He says, yes, there is one, and he's still alive. So let's look at a map, Okay. Here is the map. Right here, it's hard to see maybe, but this is Jerusalem right here. This is where David has chosen to make his house, his throne. He captures it, he captures it from the Jebusites early on, and he makes that the city of David. So this is where, this is where David is. Way up here is Lodabar, on the other side of the Jordan. It's right here. That is where Mephibosheth is. Why do we know that Mephibosheth is hiding? If we look at the map right here, 
is Bethlehem. I mean, right here is Jerusalem. Here's Bethlehem. This is part of Judah. Right here, this area right here, is where the tribe of Benjamin is. Now, Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Jonathan was from the tribe of Benjamin. Mephibosheth is from the tribe of Benjamin. So all of the land that is inherited to him is this area right here. But Mephibosheth is not living on his own land. He's way up here. On the other side of the Jordan, close to the Sea of Galilee. It's someone else's house. He's a house guest of somebody. He thinks he's hiding from David. But then when the servant of Saul, who I'm sure was tending land back here on the inherited land of, of um of Saul was called to Jerusalem. Ziba said, oh yeah, he's alive. And he's up in Lodabar. Amazing. So this meant that Mephibosheth was in hiding. Then David, but David says this, I can show kindness. Remember, David has just now become king of all of Israel. He was ruling in Judah, in Hebron, and then all of Israel came to him and said, we're going to be king over all of this. And then you have the civil war with Ishbosheth, and we have all of that right there. But now David has been made king over all of Israel. And so the first thing that David wants to do is, I want to show kindness. To the house of Saul. To not only the house of Saul, the, the son of Jonathan. Because of a promise that he had made to Jonathan. So David wanted to show someone else the same kindness that God showed him. God blessed him, blessed him in victories, blessed him in wealth, blessed him in all of these areas. And because he had been blessed and had been made king, he wants to show kindness. And so it says, there is still a son of, of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. If we go back in our reading and we look, we learned that Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 4, it tells that, his, that this son of Jonathan was made lame in his feet from an accident. It was when they heard that his father, Jonathan, his son, his grandfather, Saul, had died in battle. Mephibosheth's nurse gathered the boy and fled in haste at the news of Saul and Jonathan's death. She rightly feared that the leader of a new royal dynasty would execute every potential heir of the former dynasty. So the nurse was in haste to get away and drops the baby and he becomes lame in both feet. The son of Jonathan. This means that according to the prior dynasty of Saul, Mephibosheth had the right to the throne. He was the son of the firstborn son of the king and other potential heirs were dead. 
In a political sense, David could see Mephibosheth as a rival or a threat to his kingship. Later in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 through 8, we see a man named Shimei, who was a partisan for the house of Saul against David. There were at least a few in Israel who felt that the house of Saul still should reign over the nation and that David shouldn't be king. Mephibosheth might draw upon these partisans and develop a rival following. Ishbosheth, we read, who was Mephibosheth's uncle, he waged a civil war against David for the throne of Israel. Do you remember the idea with Ishbosheth and Abner in your reading? There was at least an outside chance that Mephibosheth might do the same thing. In speaking of Ishbosheth, remember when he was assassinated by two of his servants? They thought that they were doing David a favor. But David had them executed as well for killing Ishbosheth. But those servants just, that's the way things were done. Once a new king comes into power, then all of the other descendants of the old king are done away with. That's just the way things were done. But David changes the whole idea of that. In fact, later on, when we see the, the, the two different kingdoms, when we see uh, Judah on, on the south and Israel in the, in the north and the kings of Israel, when we get, when we get into First and Second Kings, you will see this. You will see someone else takes power, and all of the heirs of the former king, they're wiped out. I mean, just bloodshed. But David doesn't do that. He's different because of what God did for him. It says, he is in the house of Makur, the son of Emil. This speaks of Mephibosheth's low station in life. He's not even living in his own house. Instead, he's living in the home of another. We, we, later on, we find out that Makir, the son of Emil, later showed he was intensely loyal to David. He was not loyal to Saul. He was, he was loyal to David, yet he was housing Mephibosheth. When David's son Absalom late, leads a rebellion later on, we, we will find out that Makir supported and helped David with great danger to himself. So he, too, was acting different than the normal way things were operated. So David calls Mephibosheth. Can you imagine how terrified Mephibosheth was when there was a knock on the door and David's men came and said, you must go to Jerusalem. You must come with us to see the king. He probably was just saying goodbye to everyone he loved. I'm not coming back. I'm going to be killed. In, in the back of his mind, he anticipated the day when David would do as other kings did and massacre every potential rival from the throne. The knock on the door also meant for Mephibosheth that he was no longer hidden from David. He felt secure as long as he believed that the new king didn't know where he was. 
And when he goes to the King David, it says he falls to his face and prostrates himself. According to the custom of the times, Mephibosheth had a lot to fear from David. Yet his fear of David was not founded in fact. It was on assumption. Up to this point, Mephibosheth and David never had a relationship. And it was because Mephibosheth wanted it that way. He avoided David out of unfounded fears. And what does David say the first thing when he sees the Mephibosheth? And Mephibosheth bows down to him. He says the thing that we hear a lot in the Bible. Do not fear. These words would have been cruel and meaningless unless David gave Mephibosheth a reason to not fear. And so David says this to Mephibosheth, I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. David made a covenant with Jonathan and promising to show kindness to the descendants of Jonathan. So David gladly made good on his promise through Jonathan even though Jonathan was long dead and had died on the battlefield. And before, more than that, he says, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm also going to restore to you the land of Saul. Meaning, he was returning all of this land that had just been in the hands of servants, him being all the way up in Lodabar, all that land was going back to the family of Saul. He would restore the land. David simply promised Mephibosheth would receive what was actually his. I'm sure Mephibosheth knew about these lands all along, but he was afraid to take possession of them because it would expose him before the king. David went against all custom in showing such kindness to the heir of a former dynasty. And then, and even more, but wait, there's more. David said, Mephibosheth, you will eat at my table. This went far beyond giving Mephibosheth what was rightly his. He gave Mephibosheth the honor of a close relationship with the king. It's hard to not have a relationship with someone who you, you eat with on a regular basis. I mean, I'm sure that's possible, but we can assume that David sitting at this table, lavish feast. Mephibosheth, how was your day? I mean, right? Yeah. And so Mephibosheth is, to put mildly, he's fabriclastered. He's just astounded. He says this, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth didn't feel worthy of such generosity. He considered himself a dead dog, meaning worthless and insignificant. All the years of hiding from the king and living in fear and poverty made Mephibosheth think of himself as worthless. In addition to the land, David gave Mephibosheth's servants to work the land. That land just didn't sit there and fallow. He had servants 
Ziba and his sons and his servants were to work the land for Mephibosheth. But it was probably for Mephibosheth's family because Mephibosheth was already provided for by eating and having residence in Jerusalem and sitting at the king's table. And it says that Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. What? Wow. Mephibosheth was happy to know that David didn't want to kill him. To have promises like this was almost unbelievable. To go, if, can you imagine being Mephibosheth? You had to be careful where you didn't want to be noticed. You're hiding in someone else's house. You just don't want to get killed. And you go from that to now having residence in the king's city and eating at the king's table and being treated like an heir to the throne. I mean, that's, that's mind-boggling. Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, it says, no longer hiding in fear of the king. This descendant of Saul now lived openly among the people of God. And it says he ate continually at the king's table, no longer in poverty and estranged from the king. Now he had great privilege before the king. But at the very end of the passage, it says, it mentions again that he was lame in both feet. Why is that mentioned again? I mean, it's pretty clear that he was lame in both feet. It keeps imagine that. Mephibosheth's weakness did not vanish. It was still there. His life was better, but he was still lame. You know, David's grace to Mephibosheth is a wonderful picture of God's grace to us. So, that brings up, what does this passage of Scripture have anything to do with us in 21st century? I submit to you, my friends, that we are Mephibosheth. We are Mephibosheth. And let me give you 14 reasons why. Number one, we are hiding, we're poor, we're weak, we're lame and fearful before our king comes to us. Do you remember when you chose Jesus as your personal savior? Weren't you hiding, poor, lame, fearful? Number two, we're separated from our king because of wickedness. Our wicked ancestors, our wickedness. We are separated, number three, we are separated from our king because of our deliberate actions. Number four, we separated ourselves from the king because we didn't know him or love or his love for us. Or, I submit to you, of a covenant that the king has made. Number five, our king sought us out before we sought him. Number six, 
the king's kindness is extended to us for the sake of another. What? Who's our another? Jesus. Number seven. The king's kindness is based on a covenant. Number eight. We must receive the king's kindness in humility. Do you see that? Number nine. The king returns to us what we lost in hiding from him. Number ten. The king returns to us more than what we lost in hiding from him. Number 11, we have the privilege of provision at the king's table. Number 12, we are received as sons of the king's table with access to the king and fellowship with him. Isn't that beautiful? Number 13, we receive servants from the king. What? Don't we have angels available to us? Number 14, the king's honor does not immediately take away all of our weakness and lameness, but it gives us a favor and a standing that overcomes its sting and changes the way we think about Ourselves. Remember the song that's been popular? I am a child of God. Isn't that true? Those are just 14 that I've read about and studied about that we are Mephibosheth. I hopefully those 14 reasons will convince you that we are just like Mephibosheth and we have a king reaching who wants to have a relationship with us, wants to restore to us, that we don't longer have to hide from our God, our king. I submit to you one more thing. Not only are we Mephibosheth, but we're also David. And because God has shown us so much kindness, don't we want to show kindness to others because of the kindness that has been shown to us? I've only come up with five. These are five reasons why we're David. Number one, we should seek out our enemies and seek to bless them. You can surely see that in the teaching of Jesus from, from the Sermon on the Mount, from his speaking with the disciples. Number two, we should look for the poor, weak, lame, and hidden so that we can bless them. Did I tell you we're going to meet at Third Street Ministry? 
here at the church next Saturday? Why are we doing that? Why? Because of what God has done for us. We should seek to serve those that are not as fortunate. Number three, we should bless others when they don't deserve it and bless them more than they deserve. Hasn't God done, done that to us? And as a child of God, shouldn't we do the same? Number four, and we should bless others for the sake of someone else. Because of what Jesus did for me, we should do for others. That comes in in many ways. Oftentimes, we should forgive others because he first forgave us. Number five, we must show the kindness of God to others. It's, It's the reason why we don't just accept Jesus and then just go right up to heaven. Because after we've accepted Jesus, after we have decided to make him savior of our life, that we still live. We still live on this earth because there are still people in this world that don't know about Jesus. And how will they know Jesus unless we would but step forward and show kindness and love to one another? In fact, Jesus said it this way. You will know our disciples. You will know my disciples by their love they have for one another. And in extension, we are to love others. Because God loves them. And because Jesus called us to go into the world. It should change our life. Has God blessed you? I know he's blessed me. In unfathomable ways. How can I not step forward and bless others because of what I have been blessed? And even more so, I have been blessed that I will have a relationship with the creator for eternity. Wouldn't you want that same blessing for others who are right now are on the other side of the Jordan or are hiding because they're scared, afraid of what the king would do to them when in fact the king wants to love them, wants to restore them, and wants them to eat at his table? My friends, just a small chapter, but it speaks volumes to what we need to be doing today. I'm sure there is someone that God has placed in your heart this very moment of how I can, how can I show kindness to them? Or maybe many people. My friends, don't wait another day. Step forward and make that kindness happen. Not because you're such a great guy. Not because... That you want to check off a box. 
but because of what Christ has done for you. Won't you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you continue to shape us and change us and sanctify us by your blood, by your grace, by your mercy. Lord, help us, in fact, be agents of reconciliation for others, ambassadors of the kingdom, so that we may show kindness and draw others into the salvation and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer today. Help us in our attempt to fulfill that awesome duty. Lord God, I just thank you for so many blessings. I thank you for the blessing of looking out on this sanctuary and seeing my brothers and sisters of this community. It's been a long time since we've been able to do this. seems like forever, but it's only been a short time. But Lord, I, I love them. I miss them. It's so good to see them. Lord, for those that are at home, for those that are watching this somewhere else, Lord, I pray that your spirit will transfer all through the radio waves, the airwaves, the internet, Lord, that your peace, that your contentment, that your community will somehow be knit together because of who you are and your supernatural involvement in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.